When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there, welcome back to another episode of This Week in History with me, your host, Dan the Viking. Firstly, I want to say hello to Gary, our new Patreon member. Um, I do think you've been there before, so welcome back. Uh, Obviously, it has some sort of pull to bring you back in, so uh, I'm glad about that. Thank you very much for joining us over there, and I hope you're enjoying your ad-free episodes and uh, extra episodes that are all on there for you as well, so thank you very, very much for that. And uh, before we do start, I just want to give a quick shout out to uh, my good friend Paul. Um, obviously, many of you probably know Paul from the uh, from the Facebook page. He's quite active on there. Um, talks to me quite regularly. Um, he's even sent me some sweets and things like that from America. Absolutely lovely guy. Um, goes in for a quite a major operation next week. So uh, all my thoughts and prayers with you this week Paul uh, wishing you all the best so uh, hopefully you hear this before you go in um, but yeah I fingers crossed for you my friend this week guys we're going to go on to the episode now and it's a bit of a strange one and what I want you all to do is to listen to the episode and give me an answer to what you believe at the end now obviously having been to Auschwitz I'm not going to bang on about it every week but This is a man who was an SS doctor at Auschwitz. Now, he was known as the good man of Auschwitz. Now, I have done a lot of research into this this gentleman, watched a few videos, read a few um, articles and things like that. And on the face of it, he does seem pretty good, you know, as far as good can go in this situation. However, I have got a question for you at the end, and I would like as many of you to answer it as possible. So I will put the Facebook group up as well. I'll put the the picture uh, of the gentleman, and I'll put a poll on there. Um, so if you want to get over to Facebook, Facebook, obviously type in This Week in History, join the group, and I'll put a poll up at the end to uh, find out whether you guys actually think that this guy was good or bad. This week, we are talking about Dr. Hans Wilhelm Munch, the only man ever to be acquitted for the atrocities at Auschwitz. Hans Munch was born on May the 14th, 1911, in Freiburg in Breisgau in Germany. Hans's father was Ernst Munch. He was a scientist doctor of of sorts um and hans picked up his love for that at a young age he he then studied in munich and the university of tubingen now coming into 1933 the nazis obviously took power in germany hans stated that he was considering becoming a party member in the early 1930s, mainly because he could see the influence the Nazis were having, he could see how good they were for the economy, how the middle classes in Germany were much better off than they were previously under the Nazi rule, and he believed that a Nazi party membership would basically hold him in good stead for any jobs in the future. He also believed that 
or sorry, he didn't believe that all of the Nazi policies. So he wasn't one of these fanatical Nazis that, uh, you know, believed every single policy. He just saw their influence and realized that he could actually gain a lot by openly supporting them. His father was slightly anti-Nazi, but his mother, Matilda, was extremely anti-Nazi. They were very anti the anti-Semitism side for the Nazi party. They didn't believe in National Socialism and they didn't um they didn't back the party even though hans essentially did for hans though he later said that he didn't really believe the anti-semitic policies so not that he he knew they were there but he didn't believe they would ever you know extend on it he, he you know same as people saying oh we're going to do this and we're going to do that just to get in power um, and then not doing it. Um, he sort of believed that yes, they were anti-Semitic. Yes, they didn't didn't really like the Jews, but he didn't believe on any level that they were ever going to push to the next stage. Or, or that's that's how he he portrayed it anyway. And because he didn't believe this, or like I said, so he says he didn't believe this. Uh, in 1934, he ended up joining the National Socialist Union of Students. So, sort of like a precursor to the Nazi Party. Almost, uh, we have in this country uh, young conservatives um, or young Labour. Sort of like that. They're just a younger version, the student version. Um, and it wasn't until May 1937 uh, before Hans Munch got himself a full Nazi party membership. He basically came across a Nazi party membership by chance almost. He entered into a scientific competition which was to find an alternative for a bacteria that's used in science called agar agar um, which was used derived from like um, like algae or seaweed that sort of thing Um, and he had a dissertation a very small dissertation might i add um on a new substance that he created um, and he was then given he won the competition was given control of a lab and a few scientists to produce this new uh product um but obviously this being in 1937 um getting huge attention from the nazi party so he sort of sort of fell onto their radar almost and and ended up I won't say coerced into becoming a Nazi member but certainly it aided towards it so we flash forward a couple of years to September the 1st 1939 a day that will live in history the day that German troops crossed the border into Poland and sparked the second world war many doctors were drafted to the front line either as medical officers or as soldiers a lot of sort of junior doctors were basically drafted into foot soldiers this left a huge gap in the german market for actual doctors and hans munch now a doctor was described as indispensable to the nazi party and therefore was exempt from military service he was not allowed to fight so he ended up being in a hospital in Bavaria where he met his wife and they lived I would say relatively comfy for a couple of years you've got to remember the first two two and a bit years of the war um Germany had a a very very easy time you know they were steamrolling across Europe so anybody who lived in Germany 1939 yeah you were you were pretty happy and if you were a middle-class doctor whose wife is also a doctor um, you know you've got quite a bit of money coming in you're living a pretty comfy life your country's winning a war the only country that's standing against you is britain and they're miles away over a channel um they're not even threatening germany you know at this time we didn't even 
we barely had any campaigns over the German border, um, if any. It was uh, pretty much a, a whitewash at this point. Um, they were steamrolling through all of Europe. And, you know, that's pretty comfy for this man. You know, he's, he's quite enjoying his life. But he's realising that he's he's missing out on something that everyone else in his country is missing out is getting involved in um and that is to be a part of the war effort and in 1941 he applies to the armed forces now his wife did not want him to do this because he was exempt he didn't have to go and fight um but he wanted to go and fight and in 1941 he applied for that position believe it or not he was rejected. Germany in the middle of a war, needing soldiers, didn't want Hans Munch as one of their soldiers. They didn't want him. He was too indispensable and he had to stay in Bavaria. Now, his sister worked in the war office and had a little bit of pull. So he tried to get some meetings with a few generals um, tried to pull a few strings to get himself into the armed forces um, to no success. He he wasn't able to join. Uh, he went back to Bavaria and one day he's walking around uh, Munich where he bumps into an old friend, a man named Dr. Strasberger, who gives him a few ideas and one of them being to, instead of applying to join the armed forces, he should apply to the Waffen-SS. He was delighted by this, you know, the thought that he could actually join the fighting SS, the fighting unit that would help aid his fellow doctors on the front line. Now, this is where it turns a little bit sinister. What you've got to remember here is the SS were all, every single one of them, volunteers, right? So when we talk about Auschwitz and Dachau and these concentration camps, they were all soldiered by SS officers. Every single one of them was a volunteer. Every single one of them asked to be in the SS. Now, Munch claimed that he was aware of concentration camps. He was aware of Dachau. He was aware of Auschwitz, um, but he never knew the extent of what went on in there. He had absolutely no idea of what he was going to find when he went in there. Um, and he believed that they were essentially just political prisons, which I think is something that the Germans tried to spin to the general public, is that these weren't death camps. These were essentially just to house prisoners. Um whether I believe that or not remains to be said, but um, as far as he was concerned, he was not aware of anything um, sinister happening. Now, his application to join the SS was accepted, and he was posted in Krakow. And uh, For those of you who don't know, that is where Auschwitz is, or a couple of miles outside of Krakow is, is Auschwitz, maybe 15, 20 miles outside. Now, he was actually posted to a scientific lab just outside of Krakow at the start, um, where he would deal with blood cultures and bodywork um, to deal with uh, soldiers that came in. So his job as an SS officer to start with was essentially troop maintenance, making sure that uh, there was no outbreak of malaria or typhoid or anything like that in the troops. Um, and it was pretty much work that he was used to doing on a daily basis. He's also using his scientific abilities. He's working on bacteria um, and trying to come up with vaccines and cultures and things like that to uh, help the troops on the front line. So this is because of his work in biology and his work with um, algae and things like that that he's done previously. The only way to do this is to grow the bacteria in the lab. And in this instance, what they would do is the lab itself in Rysen in Poland was sent quite a lot of 
beef or pork or whatever it was on a regular basis to work on their experiments. Now, you're in the middle of a war and good meat is hard to come by. So as soon as this meat arrived, a lot of it was seized by other SS officers for cooking because they wanted a good meal. Meaning that there was no beef or pork for Dr. Hans Munch to use for his bacterial studies. So he had to get some more meat. And the meat he was sent came about four miles away from his factory in a little town that the the Polish called Oswiecim and that the Germans called Auschwitz. And in this town, there was quite a lot of ready available meat. And for those of you who haven't quite yet worked out what he was sent, uh, we're talking human flesh. He was sent as much as he wanted, as much as he needed to do experiments on. Now, again, when we talk about this man in, a, uh, if we can ever talk about any Nazis in a positive light, and when we talk about him in a positive light, I would say you've always got to ask the question, a doctor like that, he knows the difference, he knows that he's getting human meat, why... I, yeah, why would you carry on? Where? Why is the question not asked? I don't know. But nonetheless, he was working his studies on human flesh. So Hans Munch is working at a biological factory in Ryson. He's then moved to the human testing in Auschwitz. Now... Obviously, we all have heard stories about uh, other SS doctors, such as Joseph Mengele, um, someone who I will cover in a future episode. But Dr. Hans Munch, basically, <laughs> according to his testimony, he was unaware of anything that was going on in Auschwitz until he arrived. Now, when he arrived... Him and his wife were given a tour of the Auschwitz-Birkenau camp, the facilities, and what would happen there. His wife, and allegedly himself as well, were absolutely disgusted, horrified, and his wife refused to live anywhere near the concentration camp. She actually moved back to Germany and left him in Poland by himself. Now, according to Dr. Hans Munch, once an SS officer was assigned to a position in Auschwitz, he was unable to leave. Therefore, once he had, up to this point, he had done absolutely nothing wrong. He was a doctor. He was working on bacteria, on vaccines and things like that. He'd actually committed no war crimes whatsoever. Um, and then he's then placed into Auschwitz where he claims he could not leave. Again, this is disputed. There was a lady who survived Auschwitz. Her name was Dagmar Osterman. Uh, she was a Jewish lady. She was a clerk at Auschwitz. She was drafted in to be a clerk. And she claimed that many SS officers who were disgusted by the scenes at Auschwitz would come in and request to be moved to either the western or the eastern front now what you've got to remember is going into 1942 1943 where we are now um the Germans weren't having such an easy ride okay they were they decided to turn their attentions to Russia there were millions of Germans dying in the cold on the Eastern Front. The Germans had lost the Battle of Britain. They'd lost the Battle of the Sea. They were losing in Africa. Uh, the Americans had joined the war, which bolstered the western side of the, the the war. Germany weren't having a good time at this point. It It didn't look as promising as it did a few years before. 
So any SS officer that's stationed in Poland, out of the way, not fighting, not being shot at, getting food on a regular basis, and pretty much having a, a pretty decent life, would you want to transfer yourself to a front line where potentially you've got a life expectancy of a couple of weeks? Now, a normal person sitting there would say, yeah, of course I would. I wouldn't want to see what was going on. I wouldn't want to be part of the Auschwitz camp. Um, but I would question that from majority of people. Um, would you really want to be on the front line when, let's say again, the majority of SS officers, their wives and their family lived in the town they got to go home to their families on a night time or during the day when they weren't working they got to you know enjoy their life essentially no one was really bombing Poland at this point they were pretty safe would you want to trade all of that to go and get shot out on the front line I, I find it very difficult to believe there are many out there that would but according to Dagmar Osterman, there was a few that were so horrified by what they saw that they couldn't stand it anymore and requested to leave. These requests were granted as well. So Hans Munch saying he couldn't leave Auschwitz was technically not true. So it begs the question, why did Dr. Hans Munch stay at Auschwitz? Now he claims that he was asked to stay and not by his superiors although he was asked by his superiors but what made him stay was that he was requested by a lot of Jewish inmates who were there that he stayed at Auschwitz now the reason for this is he came across as a nice man he actually took time to speak to prisoners. He would walk around um, in his lab, for example, in Auschwitz. He had a hundred slave labor working for him, and he took the time to get to know every single one of them. He knew their families. He knew about their lives. He shook their hands when he met them. He treated them like human beings, something that they weren't used to from any other SS officer. There was nobody in that camp at Auschwitz that would look out for people, that would even treat them with a smallest bit of dignity. Hans Munch was the opposite of that. So his, I suppose, internal belief was that if he stayed, maybe he could make a little bit of difference to the lives of the people that were there. He was actually pulled to one side by a Nazi officer who basically told him that his behaviour was unacceptable and that he needed to sort it out. So that gives you a little bit of an idea of where he is as a human being or at least as a Nazi officer. He came across as a man who was more loyal to the Hippocratic Oath than to the Nazi party. But what was the other reasons that he stayed? Now, one of the reasons was related to the most infamous block in Auschwitz, Block 10. Um, for those of you who know a little bit about Auschwitz, Block 10 was the experimental block. This was where doctors would basically destroy lives uh, they would do any tests that they could do on unwilling subjects one of the main doctors in this was a man named Klauberg Dr. Klauberg was possibly one of the most famous and most brutal doctors at Auschwitz he would do tests for uterine cancer and he would devise ways of trying to kill certain cells trying to sterilize people um in the most humane way possible now when i say in the most humane way possible i mean that is the plan to do it in the most humane way possible however you don't start off doing things the most humane way you've got a trial and error 
Um, and that's what Block 10 was used for. It was essentially a trial and error part of the camp where all these experiments would be done. Now, Klauberg was using a group of about 10 women to do an experiment. And once that experiment was done, this was uh, to basically to sterilize women by injecting them directly into the uterus. Um, this was done maybe three or four times a year and without without informed consent and basically burnt the uterus from the inside um just to imagine the pain that these women went through is unreal and any women who refused were killed any women who were useless were killed and at the end of the trials these women You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Were killed. Unless there was another trial for them to do, they were they were gotten rid of. Now, in this particular incidence, uh, Dr. Munch took over the study after the uterus experiments were done, there was a group of 10 women and they were used to provide saliva samples for his laboratory on the other side uh, at the ricin factory. Once the saliva samples were no longer required, these women were to be gassed. That was it. They were no longer needed. They'd provided all the scientific experiments that was it no one needed them anymore so dr munch came up with a plan to try and save these women the only way he could do it would be to put them through another experiment one that was slightly less invasive one that was not as painful but essentially one that would keep them alive Um, And all it was was an injection into the gums to test for granulomas or to cure granulomas in the mouth. Um, That was it. That was what he came up with. He passed it on to his superiors and it was approved. He actually saved the lives of these women. Um, He couldn't 
live with himself knowing that these women had worked for him they'd provided samples and and things like that all for him and then because the trial had ended they were just to be killed Uh, you know to actually put that into perspective for a normal nazi officer probably not a problem for a man who's taken the time to get to know every single person that he's working with he'd built a connection with these women and he knew them he couldn't just allow them to die well that's what he says again that's his story is it that or is it just that he'd i don't know had he built an affection for one of them it was there was there more to the story i don't know did he just want the same women to do the trials because they all liked him and he wanted to have the same test subjects to move on to another thing we don't know we can only go on what his his story is and his story is that he wanted them not to be gassed just because the trial had ended he actually created experiments he told the prisoners not just in this incident um, but he told the prisoners that when he was doing experiments on them that they were to tell the other officers or tell the other inmates that these experiments were unbearably painful um, and that they were horrible and nasty um, but in reality, they they were harmless. You know, a lot of his experiments that he did were actually harmless. They were proved to be harmless uh, at the Nuremberg trials as well. So there was some sort of humanity to him. There were other instances of him being or coming across as a good man. One of the prisoners in in the camp that was one of his lab assistants, uh, another doctor, a Jewish doctor, uh, actually fell ill uh, when he came back to work after he'd been recovered. Dr. Munch gave him a sausage. Now, that sounds really stupid when you say that out loud, but he smuggled a sausage out of the officer's mess. He took it across the camp. He gave it to a prisoner who was trying to survive. Now, we all know that Jewish people don't eat sausages, but um, I'm pretty sure in the depths of the camp you would have done anything to survive and that was probably one of the small simple gestures that makes this man just a little bit more human or at least treats the prisoners like they're human and that's something that no one really experienced in that Auschwitz camp there were also stories that came out that he would try and get husbands um some time with their wives and try and get parents to spend some time with their children he would go out after dark take them places and and things that were completely against camp rules you know you've got to remember as stupid as it sounds just a simple thing like going to see your child on the other side of the camp was not allowed you know the stories that come out of this place horrendous i mean like i said when you go there and you see it yourself and you sort of you know that the kids were kept you know miles away almost they were the kids barracks were the other side of the camp you know all the kids were kept separate the kids were locked away 24 hours a day to stop the spread of disease unless they were picked out for experiments they were just locked away until basically until they died and this man went against the rules to do what he did and these stories came out after you know after the trials and and once Auschwitz had been liberated these stories resurfaced about um about this man and how Hans Munch actually managed to it's so hard to say the good man of Auschwitz but how he managed to at least treat people with a little bit more humanity now, later that year, in 1944, Auschwitz went nuclear. And by that I mean it went to a different level. Auschwitz was a terrible place to be for the entirety of its existence. But the year of 1944 uh, was pro- probably the pinnacle of that um, 
that just brutality. There was a massive influx of Jews from Hungary in 1944, and this is where the inf- the infamous pictures of the selection process of the Jews coming in um, on the carts, on the trains, on the wagons, all coming straight through the, that big archway, straight into the concentration camp, straight to selection. And this was, most of this happened, or, or to the massive, massive extent that we know now, um, happened in 1944. And, and this was due to this influx of Jews from Hungary. This selection process was known as ramp duty. And all medical personnel at Auschwitz was had to take part. There was no ifs or buts about it. And... Hans Munch decided that it wasn't acceptable and he was not going to participate. He really couldn't get behind this selection of people into that simple three categories. You will work, you will die, you will be experimented on. Now, this wasn't really his decision to make. There was no authority that he had in Auschwitz. However, Hans Munch wrote a letter to a man named Paul Reichel, who was in charge of all medical personnel for the Nazi party. And he basically turned around and said, I am not going to do this. I'm not interested in it. And in his letter, he actually wrote the words, I cannot do it. I will not do it regardless of the consequences. So he knew that he was going against direct authority, but he would not participate in the selection over the life and death of hundreds of thousands of people. So he actually was exempt from ramp duty. Um, He had who he'd contacted, had authority over the camp, and he was allowed for his time in the in the concentration camp to not be part of the selection process. Auschwitz was dismantled or the process of dismantling started in January of 1945. Now this was as the Russians, the Red Army was pushing closer and closer to Krakow in Poland. During this time the workers, the Jewish workers at the Reichsko factory where Hans Munch was the lead doctor were told that they were to leave Auschwitz on an unknown destination. Uh, one of the men who worked alongside him, a man named Dr. Michels, he was a, a Jewish man, he was a prisoner in the camp, um, but he was sort of like a lab aide to Dr. Munch, one of the the few lab aides that were allowed to work quite closely with him. They all believed that they were going on a death march. It was the end of the time. They knew the war was coming to an end and the Germans or the Nazis would do everything in their power to hide the scale of what they did by killing off the last few survivors left in the camp. This was not what was to happen. Uh, they were t- they were actually to be transported to an unknown destination. Uh, we don't know where, Um but the, the consensus at the time was that they were all to be basically execu- executed. Now, they spoke to Hans Munch and came up with a plan of escape. Dr. Munch said he would try and procure some SS uniforms and pretty much march them out the gate. Now, there's obviously a lot that can go wrong with this they decided that that probably wasn't going to work and that the best way to do it would be to walk along with everybody else whilst they're leaving Auschwitz, join the column and try and escape from the column to the Swiss Alps, Switzerland being obviously a neutral country. So that's the plan. Now, Hans Munch couldn't really do very much to help them, but what he did do is he gave them his revolver, his own personal sidearm, and ammunition. And he gave these to Jewish prisoners who were leaving Auschwitz, just in case they had to 
basically fight for their lives, they would at least stand a little bit of a chance to escape. And and this is one of the things again the doctor Doctor Mickles, the man who he gave the the gun and ammunition to, actually presided over the Nuremberg trials he was a witness uh, on behalf of Dr. Munch and said you know this is actually what the plan was in the first place he realized that that plan was probably not possible and as a goodwill gesture not only did he allow us to to march with everyone else you know without any real consequences but he actually gave us a, a slim and it is a slim chance you know one revolver against an armed SS officer, an armed SS unit potentially. But he gave them that chance. He gave them a fighting chance and he was the only SS officer to do anything like that. As the Allies won the war in 1945, Hans Munch fled Auschwitz. Uh, He was actually sent back to Dachau, another concentration camp, and then back home to Bavaria can't really hide the fact that he was a doctor at Auschwitz um, and he was arrested he was sent to an American POW camp and then he was brought to Krakow for the trial the the first Auschwitz trial and we'll put it into a little bit of perspective for you for the Auschwitz trial now it ran from November the 24th to December the 22nd 1947 42 former staff from the concentration camp including Hans Munch were put on trial for war crimes at Auschwitz. 23 of them were sentenced to death. Out of that 23, 21 were hung on January the 28th, 1948. Two of them had their their um, sentence overturned for an appeal. They were sentenced to life in prison. 18 were sentenced to prison of varying terms. Some of them... Uh, well, some of them up to life in prison. Out of those people on trial, only one was acquitted, and that was Dr. Hans Munch, the good man of Auschwitz. There were many accusations brought up at the trial. One was that his experiments were harmful. One of them was that he injected people with malaria. Um, There were various other accusations towards him. However, all the support that he received from Jewish inmates that had wrote letters in, um, some of them even appeared on trial, basically got him acquitted. Um, They said that it was found out that he never actually injected anybody with malaria. Um, A lot of his trials were fake trials. You know, he would trial something because it might actually help people not as a just a general experiment to cause pain um he refused to take part in the selection process all of these things were like feathers in his cap and on december the 22nd 1948 dr hans munch was acquitted for any wrongdoing in auschwitz and the court read a statement not only because he did not commit any crime of harm against the camp prisoners but because his benevolent attitude towards them and helped them. He did this independently from the nationality, race and religion, religious origin of the prisoners. So he basically was acquitted on the basis that it turns out he wasn't that bad for a Nazi. Um, It's a hard story, um, Dr. Hans Munch, He's a very strange character in the sense that he went completely against everything that he was supposed to do there. Um, he, he was a it's, a... it's a very hard one for him. He actually, dis, he actually died at the age of 90 um, in the, on the 6th of December 2001. So he actually lived a pretty good life after, after Auschwitz. What I find very strange and what I wanted to ask you guys is the story is that he is known as the good man of Auschwitz. And I want to know, is that possible? Because, yes, he was acquitted. Yes, there were a lot of stories saying 
that he treated the prisoners with humanity. He treated them like, you know, like they were prisoners, not like they were vermin. Um, you know, he helped people see their families. You know, he took wives to see their husbands and mothers to see their children. Um, he smuggled in a sausage to help someone recover from an oper operation. He created bogus experiments um, just to keep people alive because, like I said, if you weren't part of an experiment, your, your experiment trial had ended, there was no use for you. So he made sure that people like that had a, at least a life or at least a chance. He refused to take part in the selection process, one of the most inhumane parts of Auschwitz itself. You know, that, to me, along with all the the crimes that were committed there. To me, the selection process is possibly one of the worst things about the entire place. You know, they when you see these platforms, and I say platforms in the the, the weirdest way, because it's not a platform like you would know. These carts that they were wheeled in on, on the trains, they must be six foot off the ground. Um, men, women, children, elderly, all had to get out of these, basically, cages and jump six foot onto the floor. Now, I would struggle doing that now because I'm a big bloke, I'm overweight, jumping six foot onto the floor would probably cause me a bit of damage. A 70, 80-year-old woman who's just been shipped in from Hungary, anything could happen, you know. Um, that selection process, one of the worst things to happen, and he refused to do that. However, and there is a however here, he was a Nazi party member. Now, he claims he didn't know that, or he didn't believe that the anti-Semitic propaganda was as serious as they made it out to be. But I think anybody who's read Mein Kampf or knows anything about the National Socialist Party, they're pretty well aware that this wasn't a an idea that they were going to run with just in case this was pretty much the forefront of their entire philosophy was the anti-semitic side he wanted to join the army and ended up joining the waffen ss the fighting unit and the ones that committed all the war crimes not only did he join the waffen ss every ss officer was a volunteer every single one of them so Every, you cannot join the SS without volunteering to join the SS. I don't say volunteer in the sense that they weren't paid. I mean volunteer as in if you were part of the German army, you were not an SS officer. You had to specifically apply to go into the SS. Not only that, only the SS dealt with the concentration camps. And this was well known throughout Nazi Germany. Only the SS officers dealt with the ghettos. Only the SS officers carried out the mass execution of the Jewish and other races to do with, with the concentration camps. So he volunteered for that. He may not have, well, he claims he didn't know it was that bad. But, I mean, he was on trial for his life. I'm not sure. Um, you know, there's the stories about him treating people with humanity. Now, I find this one very strange because I can't imagine anybody who's got a shred of dignity or self-conscious in them would treat another human like a human. I don't understand. I, I, I just don't understand how people can treat other humans in that sort of a way with that such detest um i just don't get it and personally i really don't understand it and the fact that he could have requested a transfer out of auschwitz because other ss officers did that and didn't do that is that does that make him a good man did he stay there to try and change it from the inside did he stay there because he didn't want to fight on the front line did he stay there because it was easier? I don't know. But his wife left. His wife walked in, saw what was going on and went, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm off. He didn't. 
and he could have. So, was he really the good man of Auschwitz, or was he just the best of a bad bunch? You know, I don't know. There's no stories of him committing any war crimes. We don't know of any war crimes that he committed. Now, that could be because he didn't commit any. Or it could be that he wasn't found for committing any. Now, I don't know. That's just pure speculation. I'm not going to get myself sued by saying he definitely did something that we don't know about. But I do want to raise the question, and I will put it on Facebook, I will put it on the group, was he a good man or was he just the best of a lot of bad men? We'll let you guys decide. uh, I'm going to put the vote out. I want you to listen to the episode. Obviously, you have listened to the episode. Don't know why I've said that. Um, And I want you to get on Facebook, get onto the Facebook page, and I want you to vote. Okay? If you have a comment, leave a comment underneath. Let me know what you think of this episode. Um, I am going to try and move away from Auschwitz things. Um, Obviously, I do want to do um, Mengele. I will do him at some point. And me and Dad do have another uh, episode coming to do with our trip as well. So there is a couple more in the pipeline. um, But I I do think... I think this is quite poignant in my mind at the moment. Because obviously haven't just been. um, So it is something that's sort of there. So I will be talking about it. Um, But get yourselves onto Facebook. facebook Facebook.com. This Week in History. You'll find us on there. You do have to join the group. You can't just go on it it is a a private group um so join us on there leave a comment get yourself on the poll and i'll give the results out next week so next week we'll be getting the results so if you're not on it you're not on facebook and you can't contact me any other way then you'll have to wait till next week for the results this episode will be going on to patreon first as all episodes do they do go out onto patreon before they go onto your normal feed, they also go on advert free. So if that interests you and you want to get these episodes without the adverts in the middle, because I know it breaks up the, the show, I know it's irritating, but unfortunately it's the only way I can make money out of my podcast. The only other way I can make money for this is you guys coming over to Patreon and supporting me with your hard-earned cash of $5 per month. Um, I do actually have someone there now who are paying $10 a month. Um, I believe there's one guy um, paying 15 You don't have to pay that much. It is completely voluntary what you pay, but anything helps and we really really appreciate it on the show so thank you very much for listening guys like i said get yourselves over there and to, onto the facebook group and get that vote in i want to know because i think personally best of a bad bunch that's my personal opinion i've listened to it i've done the research i don't think he was that good that's my opinion what do you guys think let me know see you next week Bye bye Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.